In 2020, life had never been worse for Greg or Paloma. Greg had been addicted to porn for over two decades and he had lost all hope of ever being free. One day, he decided to give himself over to his fantasies and pay for sex. I had never felt so disgusting inside when I left. I felt so horrible. Even though I was committing adultery in my heart, you know, against Paloma, in this way, like it became physical. So it was a, it was totally different. Um, and I, I just felt so ashamed that I did that to my marriage. Unfortunately, that shame didn't last very long. And he began to pursue more and more encounters with other women. When his sin finally came to light, his wife Paloma was absolutely crushed. Now I have this huge bombshell that is just dropped on me. And I honestly thought like, but Jesus, I know you. Like, how could you let this happen to me? Like, how could this happen? Like, he's supposed to be this Christian man that I met at church. And, you know, he we do all these things and we're leaders in our church. And what just happened? Their marriage was over. Well, at least that's what they both thought. And it definitely would have been, except for two things. God was willing to rescue them, and they became willing to follow him. Hey, this is Nate Dancer. You're listening to part one of Greg and Paloma's story of hope on Purity for Life. Here we go. All right, so I've got uh, Greg and Paloma Johnson in the studio with me to talk about their story of hope. They're both graduates of our programs back in uh, 2021. Thank you guys for coming in. Thank Thank you you for having us. Typically, with these interviews, we we just start off talking a little bit about what your childhood was like to get a sense of who you were and what growing up was like and maybe some things that were – instrumental or really formative in your lives. So what would you what was your childhood like, Greg? I would say that my childhood was the typical all-American childhood. Um, you know, my summers were spent on the baseball field, you know, I was active in the church. Um my my dad was very involved in uh the men's ministry. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. So growing up, I thought that I had a normal life. Uh there was a lot of turmoil in my home, and I, mm. as a child, because I grew up in that, it was kind of the norm for me. And I just thought that you know, all parents, all married uh, couples, argued a lot and fought. You know, it was it wasn't until later in life that you know, when I was really spent a lot more time at friends' houses and stuff, that I started to kind of realize that there wasn't something that was right or normal about our house. Um, again, you know, I was raised in the church. Uh, you know, I did VBS. In the summertime, uh, you know, every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening, we were at church. Mm-hmm. But church only happened at the building. It didn't, you know, I, I didn't see my parents ever pray. You know, we never talked about, you know, sermons or things that we learned in church. Um, it was pretty much left at the building when we left the building. Um, yeah, so it was kind of like you have this thing that happens at church, but then you come home and it's a very different kind of a life. Yes. So all, and all I'm assuming that all the arguing and the the turmoil 
was kind of like behind closed doors. And yeah. then when you go to church, it's the happy face. Yes, and, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. It was, uh, you know, there was a lot of, you know, for Easter, me and my other two brothers, we would, you know, have the Easter outfits and, you know, so it was a lot of um, a show, I guess, for lack of a better term. Hmm. What about you, Paloma? Um, growing up for us was really, was really hard. Um, my mom was a single mom with three girls for um, a long time. And then my dad, my stepdad came into the picture and we uh, we kind of thought like oh like things are going to be better and things are gonna we actually have you know a, a father you know in the home again um, so when my stepdad came into the picture we kind of thought like okay this you know things are going to be better for us um, well it turns out that he had he was also an alcoholic mm-hmm. so um, it was really dysfunctional really there was just a lot of brokenness in in my home. Growing up, we church wasn't even thought of. There was no religion, no nothing. So, so yeah, it was just a lot of brokenness. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad would work and he would provide, but he also had his his addiction that really made things hard mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. growing up. So, verbally abusive, verbally abusive to and physically abusive to my mom. Um. So, Paloma, in the questionnaire that I sent you before the interview, you mentioned that your stepdad went to prison when you were a teenager. What kind of impact did that have on you? I mean, in one way, it's kind of like this guy who's creating so much hostility and difficulty in the home, he's finally gone. Mm -hmm. But from what you wrote on your questionnaire, it didn't seem like it was (laughs) – it didn't actually end up being that beneficial for you. It seemed like it was kind of a turning point. What happened um, it was. I feel that like there was that sense of he's gone. Like you know, he we're not gonna have to walk on eggshells every weekend because we know that this is coming. Or you know, there was no fights with my mom, and then seeing the physical abuse, and so it was a breath of fresh air when he did go to prison. But it was now my mom had to work, um, and so now we were teenagers being left at home while she worked in the evenings, having to care for our younger siblings. And then we were in our teenage years, so we were, it just was not good. Mm. There was, you know, boys in the house. We just went wild and pretty much had no no boundaries. Mm. Um, Greg, obviously you came to Pure Life because of a sexual sin problem, so... That typically with men starts pretty young. When was that the same for you? How did that affect you, your life when you got into sexual sin? Yeah, so uh, I think I was around nine or 10 years old, and I had a friend in our neighborhood who had a a brown paper bag of pornographic magazines that he had. Um, I don't know how he acquired them. I just know that he had them, and I had... Uh, I looked at it one day and uh, I remember the feeling still to this day, you know, 30, you know, five years later of seeing that the first time in the image. And what I thought, I remember there was like it was almost an immediate like there was on one hand, there was a draw. And then on the other hand, it was like, but this is like, this is wrong. This is this is not right. But that draw, that physical draw gripped me 
And a few days later, I remember being at my at my house, and he lived at the other end of the neighborhood, which our neighborhood was pretty big. And I was it was at at my house, and I just wanted to see those images. So yeah, it's uh, it had gripped me, um, you know, from very early on, and uh, controlled my life. And it really intensified to when I was about thirteen or fourteen with that same friend. I discovered self gratification, and that you know, took it because before then it was just like I was viewing this image and I had this huge buildup, you know, as a kid. And it was like, okay, I would just view the image and then I would, you know, stop. But then later on, you know, like I said, when I was 14 or 15, I discovered self-gratification. And then it was like, I would view these images and have that huge buildup. And then the self-gratification that really caused a lot of anxiety in my life. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was such a constant. So it was like a cycle of like, I would view porn, I would gratify, then I'd have fear and anxiety. And then like to mask the fear and anxiety or put a bandaid on it, I would medicate again. And it was just like this thing of like this cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think what you just shared is like the experience that thousands and hundreds of thousands of guys can relate to. Yeah. Um, well, so then you had an experience at youth camp when you were 14 or 15, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, going back to my home life, uh, it was chaotic. You know, church for me was was very dry. Um and then with this, you know, addiction at such a young age, I was dead inside. And I knew a few of my Christian friends that just there was something different about them. Like they mm-hmm. had this joy. They had a hope, I guess. And I, I wanted that. And I went to vac- I went to a youth camp one year and I don't remember who the speaker was or what they spoke about, but they gave an altar call. And one of these friends had, you know, invited me to the altar with him, you know, to get prayer. And I remember at that time, like I wanted, I wanted something that was going to be real. Yeah. Like I wanted to experience Jesus, not in like a story at Sunday school, but I wanted to experience him as the person that I had heard other friends talk about like this real person. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a storybook character up until this point. So I went to the altar, you know, and got prayer. And I can't really articulate exactly what happened other than like for the first time in my life, I had this sense of like, okay, like I have hope. And I can't really say in what or or anything else, but like the turmoil and the chaos for that moment, um, it kind of just dissipated. In, in my heart, I felt like, you know, the warmth of Jesus. And unfortunately, in in the denominational background that that I was brought up in, everything was kind of an experience. And you, you experienced Jesus as like, you know, it was the experience that was going to change you. So I was thinking that that experience at the altar was somehow going to change me and I wasn't going to want to look at porn anymore. And I wasn't going to, you know, give over anymore. So coming home, you know, two or three weeks later, that desire was still there. And, you know, I white knuckled it for as long as I could. And, uh, you know, I ended up giving, giving over. And then I just kind of walked away from, from that at that Mm -hmm. point. So in your mind, it was kind of like, 
okay, I met Jesus and I experienced this thing. And so now everything's going to be different. And so then when it wasn't different, you were just kind of back into that same hopelessness. Yeah. I, it was, it caused a lot of doubt and, and disbelief mm-hmm. uh, in me that, you know, maybe that this wasn't real or that time at youth camp when I got the prayer, it was, you know, it was just kind of, I conjured that up. I fabricated that because I wanted something so bad. Mm. Wow. <laughs> you know, I had a very similar experience when I was 15 and I sensed so much that I needed, I mean, in, in, in the way I thought about it was like, I need to get saved. This was yeah. how I was thinking about it. I need to get saved. And I went to the altar and something really happened in my life, which I know I didn't make up. But at the same time, after that experience, I went into just a decade of sexual sin. And I, I look back at that and I don't know, I don't know exactly how to m- make sense of it all, but I think about the faithfulness of Jesus, Mm. that even though I was completely unfaithful, he was still extremely kind, and he was not willing to just let me go my own way. Now, of course, I'm going to have to make a decision at some point, right? Right. I'm going to have to respond to that love, but his love is so patient and devoted. He doesn't just give up. Like he could have looked at what you did and said, oh, really? That's how you're going to treat me? Mm -hmm. You're just going to throw it all away just because you have one failure? But he's he's not like that. Mm -hmm. He's so sweet and forgiving, you know, Mm -hmm. even when we're completely deceived and deluded. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Paloma, you didn't grow up in a religious home, so... You said on your questionnaire that you met Greg in church. How did you end up in church? Um, Okay, so I was really um, in a bad place. Like I had uh, my two older boys. I had them at a very young age. Um, I was with their their father in a, I mean, just a broken relationship too. So I finally decided that I needed to get out of that relationship. And I was actually looking for a house. You know, I was just driving around my town looking for a place for me and my kids to go to. And I was, for some reason, I was just skipping through the stations. And then I I heard like a Christian radio station. I can't even remember which one it was at that time. And I was like, you know, I've tried everything else. And look at me like I'm still... Yeah. Really broken. I'm a, you know, basically a single mom to two boys. Um, and I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try this thing. I'm gonna try this Jesus thing. So um, I started going to a um, small church that some of my friends from high school went to, and I got that's where I got saved. And I started taking the boys. Me and the boys started going, and I really just like just my outlook changed. I honestly, one of the biggest things that I did was I was a waitress. I was going to school, raising the boys. I was, it was really hard. If you've ever been a waitress, you know that like, or a waiter, I'm sorry, you know that like Sunday is like the church people will come Mm -hmm. and like, you know, this is the day that you make really, you do really well. So I was like, okay, you know, if you're calling me to, to go to church on Sunday, 
then that means I'm going to like it's one of my biggest days that this is how I provide. So I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to I'm going to stop working on Sundays and I'm going to go to church. And man, like the faithfulness, like he was so faithful. I on Friday and Saturday, I made more than I would make more than I ever made like in one day. And he just showed me how faithful he was in that moment. And I just started reading the Bible, started going, started worshiping, and just really just hmm. fell in love with, with Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. It, it was, are there any other ways that he, I don't know, like in your life, you didn't have any, you didn't have any experience with a person who was good. Mm-hmm. And so like you needed that. I desperately needed that. And were there other ways that he showed you just his goodness? Yes. Um, so I again I was, you know, looking for a home for me and the boys, and um he became everything I think I so badly just wanted. I never had a father, you know, I never had a father that actually loved me or like I saw him providing and taking care of, like take really taking care of me. And so like everything just started to fall into place. Like he became my provider. He like became like this person that I never experienced. And I started to see him as the one that I could count on because I couldn't count on both my fathers and I couldn't count on this man that I thought, you know, was going to be, you know, the person for me and my children, and he wasn't. And so he became that in by just by providing and also by just giving me a joy and a peace in that moment that, like, I hadn't experienced before. Mm. It's amazing. So, Greg, you met Paloma in church, and you guys decided to get married. It was really sweet. <laughs> He was really, he was really sweet. I would teach us Sunday school and he would, every morning, he would bring me a coffee uh-huh. to my little Sunday school class. Yeah. Was, yeah she was, uh, she was set um, on going about it the right way and, you know, in, in the courting, the whole courting thing. I struggled with that because I was so given over, you know, I mean, behind closed doors, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. to, to sin, you know, I was so led by my flesh. I liked her, um, you know, and then the fact that she had standards um, that, you know, she wasn't going to cross, you know, in protecting her boys. And then also with her, you know, physical intimacy, I was like, and that drew me to her more. So, yeah, I courted her, you know, um, you know, do things for her. But, you know, the whole time it was just it was really, really hard on keeping my flesh in check. You know, because I just had a my my a lifestyle of giving over, giving into my flesh, and not just sexual sin, but whatever it wanted. You know, I would go all in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, I, I you know we courted for six months and was it six or nine months. It was like about that. nine months. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Did you ever tell her about the sexual sin? No, I didn't tell her. Um, so before we were married, or before? No. No. Because I I had this idea that if we can get married, it's going to go away, mm. right? Because we're gonna I'm, I'm going to be able to have that intimacy with her, 
which is how God intended. So it's going to go away. Well, it didn't, you know, and I think it was about six months after we were married. Uh, I knew that I was going to have to come into the light with this. Uh, and I had approached my pastor and I talked to my pastor about it and I told him, Hey, you know, I, I, I can't do this. I know this is wrong. You know, I'm married. So uh, he encouraged me to open up to her, and he had kind of helped with that. You know, he set up a meeting where, you know, I can I can confess to her, and I did. So, yeah. Had you had any inkling that he was doing anything? No. No, at this time, whenever or my pastor called me to the office, uh, of course I was like, mm, this is odd. Like, you know, I had no clue. So at that time, it was um, it was just a pornography, and I didn't even I don't even think he told me about self gratification. It was just pornography that he was viewing pornography, mm. and our pastor kind of just made it sound like he's not the only one, you know that. But he, you know, you need to know, and then and then you need to put in a filter on things, mm. and that was that was pretty much it. How I mean, how did you handle the confession? Um, I think that I was very naive in thinking that like, okay, so he's watching this stuff that he shouldn't be watching. And of course it, like at the time I felt, you know, I, I did feel a sense of betrayal, mm -hmm. but it was more like, well, then we're just going to, you know, make sure that he doesn't have access to it and he should be fine. And I honestly really believe that these filters would fix the problem. Okay. So did that provide any kind of help for you or what happened? No, it didn't uh, because it would last, I don't know. Not very long. Not very long. And, you know, the first opportunity I would have, I would, you know, I would go to my sin again. Mm -hmm. um, there was, you know, a period of like eight months uh, where we started fasting and I actually started having a little bit of victory. And, you know, what what I was led to believe with my church at the time was that it's it's a flesh issue. You know, as long as I can put my flesh under submission, I can say no to my body. And I remember this time because I wonder if that's where it intensified, you know, because he he said that he's been good. He's done. You know, he's he does. He no longer needs the filter. And I remember telling him, are you sure this is what you know, that what we should do? And he was like, yeah, like we uh, he's like, I haven't struggled. And so I took the filter off. Hmm. Were you trying to get your sin sort of manipulatively or did you really think I really I'm good. yeah I really thought that I was good um yeah yeah and then what happened Uh it it wasn't long after that that I had had given over and I remember there was so much shame that I didn't want to tell her and mm -hmm. it and that continued for a long time well, um, until I th and I think it was it was actually she found it I think on our computer or laptop at home I mm -hmm. left a, a tab open or something and she mm -hmm. found it how was your how was your marriage I mean like obviously there's no there's no real Christian fellowship when right. you're walking in darkness. No, we we, we but, played the part. We played the part very well. We went to church. Uh -huh. You know, I we at this point we we're at a different church than the church that we met at. And we just I mean, we were very active in our church. We we're serving. He was an usher. He was um gosh, I mean, we were very involved in our church and then on the 
side over here behind closed doors where we weren't we weren't good. You know, there was oh, a lot really? of fighting. There was um yeah, there was just a lot of, you know, turmoil behind behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. We were and I know at one point we were even, you know, pretty done. We felt pretty done. We were talking about divorce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To the point that um Another couple who had kind of walked alongside us through some of those uh, previous years, you know, whenever I was exposed, uh, they it, it ended up them sitting on our couch after church one Sunday, pleading with us not to not to give up on our marriage. Mm-hmm. I had given up on the hope that I can never find freedom. She had given up on me. Hmm. Wow. And this is before, some of this is before even his sin got worse because it did intensify. Yeah, yeah. So what happened there? I mean, because you had gone for, you know, probably, like you said, 20 years where it was just pornography and self-gratification. But So uh, what happened to kind of create this big intensification? Yeah. Um, I remember I had... Uh, I had gotten this new job. Um, you know, it was a huge promotion. And with that just came so much pride. And then because it was a, a corporate-based company, um, we couldn't put the software that we normally use on their computers. So I was in my office one day, um, and I was viewing pornography, and I viewed a video of a massage parlor. And it piqued my interest, you know, and I knew that there were some massage parlors um, there in town. And uh, so I went to one uh, to experience it for myself. Mm. And that started that intensifying of of my sin in that way. Yeah, you know, something just occurred to me while you're talking is like you were saying that you had basically given up hope that you would ever be free. And I think when you when you lose that hope that there can be freedom, you're really just in one way you're just surrendering to the darkness. You know, you're just saying, "All right, just take me wherever you want me because I'm done fighting." Yeah. And it's just a horrible place to be. I mean, it's a horrible place to be when yeah. when you're really truly hopeless. So that experience, what did that do to you? So I remember the first time I went to one, um, I had never felt so disgusting inside when I left. Mm -hmm. I felt so horrible. Even though I was committing adultery in my heart, you know, against Paloma, in this way, like it became physical. So it it was totally different. Um, and I, I just felt so ashamed that I did that to my marriage and so low. Uh, I thought that that feeling after leaving there would, would keep me you know, from ever going back. Mm. But it was like about two weeks later, I ended up going back to another one. And after that, uh, it was probably that time, maybe the third time where it was just, I was completely given over to it. There, I mean, it. I had never felt a, something that when it came over me, it was just I had to do it. I mean, it was you mm-hmm. know I was planning it out on on lunch breaks. You know um, what what 
you know, place I would go to, you know, just scheming on the finances. How am I going to, you know, where am I going to get the money from? How am I going to hide this? You know, I was into hobbies, bow hunting and stuff. And I was telling Paloma, you know, that I was going to use this money, you know, for, you know, apart from my bow or something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and using it for the massage parlors. Mm. And you had no, I mean, obviously, well, okay. I think there's probably two people, two kinds of people. Maybe somebody in that condition feels like I am an absolute hypocrite, but I don't know how to change. And maybe somebody else is just kind of like, well, I guess the Lord understands or when I die, you know, then finally I'll be free. But there's no real concern, like no real concern about their spiritual life. Where were you at? Whenever I had crossed that threshold from viewing porn to going to the massage parlors, there was there started to be a concern. I think I convinced myself when I was viewing porn that I was in the camp of, well, it's just viewing porn. The Lord knows this is a desire that is in every male. You know, um, in one day, the Lord will fix me. But then it transitioned. um, When I was going to massage parlors, it transitioned to this isn't good. Mm. You know, something needs to change. And with that transition, I, I dove more into religion and into doing more, if I could just do more, the Lord will see me and the Lord will hear my prayer and he'll come in and heal me because he doesn't want me like this. You know, he knows my heart. And that was kind of where I was at at that time. It's just utter misery. Yeah. But at the same time, not really, not telling anybody. Yeah. Right. I mean, just more hiding, more deceiving. So eventually it came out. How did it come out? So I had sensed out of the blue one day, I sensed this separation from God that I had never felt before. And it came with this darkness and it scared me. I don't know if I was able to see my true spiritual condition. You know, I don't know if that's what the Lord had had allowed me to see, but I, I sensed this darkness and it was, it, it just put dread and fear in me mm. um, because of what I was doing, uh, the way I was living. Um, so, out of that fear, I had reached out to Paloma one day while I was at work and uh, I confessed to her. My confession was, was more of an accusation, it was more of blame shifting on, well, you know, this is because this is where our marriage is at. And I think I might have said that, like, this is what our marriage mm-hmm. is, has come to. Yeah. And I confessed uh, wow. to her. Yeah. It was it was sick. Yeah. So, you know, it, I, I, I had to get that off of my chest. I had to get that burden off, but I did it in a way that, yeah, I would just blame her for it. And it's not my fault. Yeah, it was. Uh, we were arguing that day. I can't really remember what we were really arguing about. I just know that like he dropped that bombshell on me over the phone and said that he was, you know, he's done with our marriage, that he's been, you know, miserable, that you know it was, you know, it's it's my fault. Um, he actually had said that he had he was talking to another woman. He had already been talking to another woman and that, you know, I was that he was just miserable with me. And um, 
And then he said that, you know, we could talk about this when I get off. And that was that was the beginning of like his confession um, that evening. Well, I mean, a lot of other things obviously transpired that day, you know, and then he ended up coming home. And um, I was asking, like, who is she? You know, all of the thing, all of the questions that any wife would ask. And then he said, no, he said, um, he's like, that's not the truth. He's then he told me the truth that he had been going to massage parlors and visiting prostitutes and that it wasn't another woman. And yeah, that was his confession. And it was really, really, really hard. I mean, my whole life and world as I knew it obviously just exploded and fell mm -hmm. apart. Um, you know, you had come into a relationship with Jesus because he had been so wonderful to you and he was taking care of you and protecting you and providing for you. And it's like, wow, I just fell in love with this Jesus. Mm -hmm. what, what was left of your relationship with the Lord by this point in your life? I think that, um, you know, outwardly I, I could say that, you know, I was a Christian because I was going to church and doing all of these things. But in reality, looking back on it, my relationship with the Lord had had suffered. I was just a, you know, Christian on the outside. I hardly ever opened my Bible. I hard I never had a quiet time or uh, a prayer life, honestly. Um, just in like the group setting at church. Um, so by that point, I had already been far from the Lord. And then now I have this huge bombshell that is just dropped on me. And I honestly thought like, but Jesus, I know you. Like, how could you let this happen to me? Like, how could this happen? Like he's supposed to be this Christian man that I met at church. And, you know, he, we do all these things and we're leaders in our church and what just happened, mm. you know? So I guess I really did again, go back to that little girl wanting that protection mm -hmm. and not having it or not feeling like I had it from Jesus, you know? Like he had like, where was you? he? Yeah, like, where was he? Why didn't he stop this? And why didn't he, like, why didn't he protect me, protect yeah. us, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I did, there was a moment where I did blame. I did blame God and just feel abandoned and again. Yeah. So, I mean, both of you at this point are a wreck. I mean, it's it's amazing to me just listening to you guys what a miracle of grace that you guys are mm. together. Because, I mean, you were ready to give up on the marriage even before all of this. Mm -hmm. Just his, man, not that he like, I don't know, not that a marriage that falls apart, it's like, well, God didn't keep it together. Not yeah. that, but I'm mm -hmm. just looking at you guys and thinking, man, the incredible power of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a moment couple days, maybe weeks after all of this happened, the, after he confessed and we were just like, honestly, just dead people walking, you mm -hmm. know, like there was nothing there. 
I mean, he was going to work and I was with the kids because it was during COVID. So like I was at home and he would still go to the office and but there was nothing there. And I we had pretty much resigned to like, we're just going to divorce. And I remember um, I'm sitting I'm just sitting there asking God, like, I I need you. I need you to tell me what to do because I didn't know what to do. And then he gets up out of nowhere. He gets a uh, a picture and a verse of the day that we got married in our old pastor's office. And what was that verse? What what God has joined, let no man separate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it was this, this guy that um, I knew and I hadn't talked to him in years. Um, I was staying at my parents' house. You know, we were just on the brink of divorce. Um, the marriage was devastated and I didn't know she was praying for direction and guidance. And uh, my buddy sent me that screenshot of that picture and it said, let what God is joined together, let no man separate. And I asked him like, why did you send me that picture? You know, I, he didn't know I hadn't mm-hmm. talked to him in years. He didn't know, you know, what we were going through. So I, I screenshotted that and sent it to her. And, uh, and I guess that was, you know, yeah. the Lord just really comforting her. Yeah. At that time, and then also, you know, myself as well. But I was still given—I'd given up hope on our marriage because I gave up hope on me being ever being free. So that is not exactly a very encouraging answer mm-hmm. from the Lord, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, wow, He really answered, but mm-hmm. wow, that's a hard answer. Yeah. Like, stay. Yeah. How did you handle it? Um, I honestly was like. No, like there's no way, like there's no way that you could be asking me to do this, like to to stay with somebody who's just done this, you know, over and over again. Like there's there's no way. But there was something in me that was like, okay, how, how, you know? And so I I wanted so bad to not let this, you know, fall apart. But I just I, I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought like right. I was crazy right. to choose to stay right? because everything. And if anybody found out or if anybody knows, like they're going to think I'm crazy. Like, Yeah, like what he's just asked me to do is impossible. It's impossible. Yes. Um, so then you find out about Pure Life. I'm assuming pretty soon after this whole thing has mm-hmm. transpired. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Paloma had shared um, with a friend of hers in church, you know, about what had happened. And that friend knew a couple in our church who we hadn't, we knew of, but we hadn't formally met this couple who had, the husband had gone through pure life. And uh, so Paloma's friend had put her in contact um, with this couple. And that evening, this lady was on our doorstep with the SI book and the wives book. And we invited her in and she sat in our kitchen and she shared their story of how her husband had struggled with sexual sin and how he went to pure life Mm. and he's walking in freedom. And I remember vividly the feeling and the desire that came over me when she told me that her husband is walking in freedom. And I wanted that so bad. Like there was something inside me that said, there is something here. There's something for you. There's something yeah. here. 
This was like the first time you'd felt hope in years. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't, she, she just shared their testimony and then just talked about pure life. Mm. Did you, so, okay. So she gave you at the altar of sexual idolatry yeah. and when his secret sin breaks your heart, mm-hmm. gave that to you. Yeah. Did you guys mm-hmm. read those books? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did. Uh, that was, you know, there was so much turmoil at that time because, you know, just the devastation, the hurt. So I was at my parents' house, or if I was home, she was, her and the kids were at my parents' house. So there was still turmoil going on, but I was reading the, you know, I was reading the SI book, you know, and it, yeah, it was, it was in, I think it was in chapter four. No, it was the road to freedom, mm. whatever chapter that is. And I just really dug in and I just really, really started to pray. And I remember um, one of those nights I was alone uh, at our home, you know, Paloma and the kids were at my parents' house. And I remember getting on the kitchen floor and just crying out to the Lord. And it wasn't me. That wasn't something that that, that I've ever done. It wasn't in my nature to cry out to the Lord and, and to pray like I was praying. You know, I was I was pleading with God to to make that happen in my life, what I'm reading in this book. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Asking the Lord to do something, to do something in my life. Mm-hmm. Not to save my marriage, not to do anything you know, outwardly for me, but do something in my heart. Mm. Hmm. Um, when he mentioned that he might want to go to this program, were you like good with it or... Where, where were you at? No, no. So he – there was, you know, there was a lot that, that we were struggling. So he was like, you know, I have to go to this program. I have to go. And I was like, okay, how? Like how are we going to do this? Because, you know, I mean financially yeah, it was – you know, he was like, well, you're going to have to move into an apartment and you're going to have to sell your car and you're going to like, he was, yes, this wow. is, this is what he was telling me to do. He was like, you're going to, we have four kids, yeah. you know, in an apartment, you know, and then yeah, I was. So, oh, great. You're going to go get help and do this to me. Yes. Yes. It was. Yeah. I was like, and you get to go away to this place. And like, you know, and in, in my mind, I honestly thought like, why can't you just stop? Mm. Like, how hard is it? How hard can it be just to stop doing these things? grotesque things like I don't understand how hard like I didn't understand you know and then now you're asking me to sell my car and sell our home and move into it It was just yeah it was so no I was not at all for pure life Um, it wasn't until things just kept getting worse you know Mm. like things just got so so bad between us and in our home that, you know, I was at his parents' house one night when we just had this huge blowout. Like, it was it was just awful. And I ended up just, he was very cold to me and very mean. And so I, I just, me and the kids just left. And I just left him there. And that night, I was just, I wouldn't answer any of his calls. I blocked him. I just, I, I was pretty much done. I said, I can't, you know, we can't live like this. That morning, he came to the, to his parents' house and he said... I have to go to Pure Life. And I was like, bye. There's a couple things that really stand out to me about what we've heard so far. First, there is a big difference between having experiences with Jesus and walking in fellowship with Jesus. And I saw that in Greg's story. I mean, when he was a teenager, 
he was really hungry for a real experience with Jesus at that youth event, and it does seem like Jesus came near to him. And with Paloma, she had very real experiences with Jesus and saw his love, provision, and protection, and tenderness in her life. But then when you fast forward, what do you find? You find this mess of chaos and turmoil. You find them acting one way in religious settings and a totally different way when they're behind closed doors. You see the love of the world and selfishness and hopelessness. That's what I mean. They both had experiences with Jesus, but that's very different from the life that will emerge from close fellowship with Jesus. And the other thing that really stands out to me is that Jesus knew where they were. He knew that they were in trouble. And I don't mean just in their marriage. I mean, they were in trouble spiritually, and Jesus knew it. He was watching them in their lives, and he was working. The pain that they were in, the sense of hopelessness, the devastation of being betrayed, all of that was a part of the Good Shepherd's work to bring them to himself. And I know that when you're in the midst of that pain, when you're in the midst of the hopelessness and the betrayal, it is very difficult to see the hand of the Good Shepherd. But in our next episode, as we continue on in the story with Greg and Paloma, it is impossible to miss. Here's a sneak peek of what's coming up in part two. I was confronted after a chapel service on Sunday, and uh, I stormed out of my counseling session, and I was going to go home. And somewhere in between leaving the, the chapel with my bags and going back to my dorm, the Lord allowed me to see the end result of me leaving. The Lord was working in my heart at that moment. So I get in the van to go to the airport, and I started weeping, and I asked one of the staff members that was going to take me to the airport if it's too late to repent. And he went inside and talked to my counselor, and he came back out, and he got me. And my counselor asked me, he said, are you done? And I had come to the end of myself. That whole time of crying out to the Lord, he heard me, but he, he needed me to get to the end of myself to the end of what Greg can do. So that way we can get rid of that tomb, that whitewashed tomb, and he can start over and he can start building a foundation in my life, a sure foundation. Greg was still an idol to me. You know, before it was, you know, he was there. Greg was there and I could have somebody to talk to or, you know, be with, but it was just really, really getting needy for just Jesus to do something in me. It was during that time where I really had to repent to Jesus for allowing Greg to still be on the throne of my heart. And um, turning from that and just asking God to be on his rightful throne. All right, that's it for part one. Don't miss next week as we wrap up Greg and Paloma's story of hope. God bless. We'll see you next time.
Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.